In this episode of STEMiverse, Marcus and I talk with Professor George de Souza Pires. George is a retired associate professor. He was a researcher and senior lecturer at Uppsala University. He was also the research and education manager of Apple Sweden from 1988 onwards, and in 1996 he joined the education team of Apple Europe. George is fascinated by the power of technology to transform education. He worked at Malmö University in Sweden with the specific goal of improving computer-assisted learning at the university. He's also the author of several books and many peer-reviewed articles in education and engineering. In this conversation, George discusses his colorful experiences in his long career in education, from helping his mother to teach grammar in her school in Portugal, to moving to Sweden, learning several languages, spearheading many educational initiatives, and using spreadsheets as a teaching tool. This is Stemiverse, episode 6. Welcome to Stemiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I am Peter Dalmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. George, thank you very much for joining us in this episode of STEMiverse. Very much appreciated. Uh, you hail from Sweden. Yes. Which is pretty cold right now. <laughs> so I'm here with my co-host, Marcus Shapi. Good evening. And uh, for the next hour, would like to learn as much as possible about you teaching STEM, your experiences, and you've got a pretty diverse background. And uh, we'll start picking all that uh, in the next hour. So to get started, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about you and how you relate to teaching? And if you'd like to do that, what are you working on at the moment? Haha. Well, I'm always working with many things. So, yes, um, so my name is George de Souza Pires, as you uh, said. And uh, to introduce myself, uh, I would say that um, I wrote a book. And uh, this book is called The Joy of Understanding How the Concepts Are Interrelated. Everything is interrelated. And the name is the, the Joy, and on the cover there are these Raphael angels, you know, the comfort of angels. It's um, it's called the Sixtina Madonna. Down there, there are uh, two angels, and uh, I think that is um, it is describes me quite well because uh, uh, first of all, I am all into context. My company is called JSP, like my name, George Souza Pitch, JSP, in context. And uh, this means that, um, uh, well, everything I do has a context. Well, any anybody, but maybe people don't think of context so much as uh, as they should. Or um, so th- I think that describes me quite well. Um, uh, amateur of art, so I am actually an associate professor of semiconductor electronics. That was uh, long ago, and um, I usually think of myself and well. Some people have said that, like an elevator. And the elevator 
is is a, a quite nice um, uh, figure of of speech. Um, you know, the French word for a student is élève, and élève is the same root as elevator. Uh, the pupil, the student, is something that you should elevate to new heights. And uh, I think that is. Uh, that's a good description of what a teacher has to do. It has to elevate, um, elevate the, the, the pupil. So that is, I think, um, uh, describes quite well um, what I am. I am also, although I am a, a physicist, I have a diploma in French language as well, so I can actually teach French. And I have written uh, four books. I have worked as a radio amateur. I am a radio amateur, but now I live in, in town, so I don't have all these fancy antennas on the roof. Uh, that was quite uh, quite interesting to to speak to people all over and uh, and follow them, turn the, the Yagi antenna around and find new people. That was uh, really, really one of the best times of my life as, um, as a radio amateur. Now I live in town, in the town, town of Malmö, just across of Copenhagen, and uh, it's much more difficult for these things. And also, I have other interests. So, I also use Mathematica a lot, almost every day, actually. So, I think that is maybe a, a too long, uh, but that is some description of myself. The, the joy of understanding the, the context. So, was the joy of understanding your first book? Uh, no. My first book was uh, uh, Electronics Handbook. It was a reference handbook uh, of 800 pages that is actually written in English. Uh, and that is very relies very much on visualization of electronics. That, um, uh, that was uh, my first book. And it was written for before the times of uh, interactive uh, books. It is written in short chapters with a lot of cross-referencing. So if I would put the, that book on, on screen and um, yeah, fully accept it as an interactive book, that would be lots of cross-references. Uh, that was the first one. And all the, 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 all the other three are about, uh, are about teaching. Uh, in, uh, here in Europe, we call this uh, technology-enhanced learning. Technology-enhanced learning. That is TEL, T-E-L. And uh, the, those books are, well, I suppose we'll talk about these today, uh, how to use technology to enhance um, uh, learning. Uh, that, those were the, the, the three other books with lots of apps. One of the book is, uh, lots, has lots of apps along the, the arrow. I, the arrow is my concept for uh, when you grab the first computer to uh, up to, well, to the university level. You should use as few apps as possible, uh, as few software as possible, but you should understand if you are on spreadsheets, then you can use a spreadsheet in very low age to simulate something, and then you go on and use spreadsheets more and more. And I mean, not really the spreadsheet, but the idea of, of having data and visualize it, which is quite immediate in Excel, by the way. I'm a big fan of Excel. So you use Excel as a, a teaching simulation tool because uh, oh, yes. it's easy I have for, used that. for students to yeah. understand it and I suppose model a question, right? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and they, they can they can learn the basics of of programming uh, by doing that. Also, so it's, uh, we we had a one of the my my students by the way my students have been for a long long time have been teachers. So I have been in teacher training, so I have worked all over, and not all over the planet, but I have worked in I was in Argentina to teach some teachers. I've been in the US. I've been well. I'll, in, in in Sweden, mostly in Sweden, of course, uh, and I have I think I have been at every university in Sweden, at least most of them, and um, so the teachers can be at university level, but can also be preschool level, because I have some kind of general concepts that um, interested people, so they they kind of ask me for. So, how does teaching in Sweden differ to teaching elsewhere in the world? Well, you know, people people are, we are kind of humans, more or less, but we have um, different backgrounds. So you have to very much, and that's not even depending on if you are in a different country. In the same country, people have different backgrounds. So you have to adapt to the teaching uh, so that the learners can actually put that into their, their context. So if you are speaking about, I don't know, a, a nice uh, villa to some people that have never seen a villa or swimming, about swimming in the sea or people that have never seen the sea. We have some people here in Sweden, even in Malmö, by the way, that have, although we are at the border, they have never seen a beach. Uh, hmm. And this this is quite common in many countries. If you they don't People don't travel so much. I mean, in the 18th century and so on, people did not travel at all. And nowadays people travel, but maybe very, very little. So, I mean, as com- in a comparison. So, if you are speaking about density of water and that you can flow, float, people will look, someone will look at you and say, ha-ha, you can do that. I cannot do that in my bathroom. No, no, <laughs> that's also water, but you cannot kind of swim that, I know. So, you kind of take a step back and say, uh-huh, let me see which context is this for these people? And starting from their uh, their level and their context, then you can kind of have these figures of speech, and all these things that you can try to hook their knowledge on, I mean, my information on their knowledge. Uh, but that's very much dependent on, on the context, as I say. So uh, I just... Um uh, I, I tried to um, learn from what our guests say by paraphrasing <laughs> what they say. So I paraphrase what you just said by um, uh, like this. So the responsibility of the teacher is to uh, present knowledge instructions to the student so that it makes sense to the student. So you really have to know your student before you go in and start doing this thing called teaching, right? You, you can't just walk or work into a room and start teaching unless you know your students beforehand. Yeah, I think that is that is very much my point. I mean, there are um, there are ways of circumventing that. But if you are speaking of teaching, then you can just go into a room and teach. If you're speaking of learning, then you have to have more knowledge about about people. Looking what questions do they ask? 
uh, how do they look like? Yeah, well, if it is a physical uh, room. Um, but that is, uh, we can talk about um, distance education also. But, um, but if you were, I mean, it's very different speaking of teaching. Um, uh, <laughs> this was a reminder. Um, I prefer to speak about learning. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, but you summarized it very well. Yes, that was that. I was going to say about spreadsheets that um, I actually invented a spreadsheet before Excel came out. Well, before actually one, two, three, and uh, there was another one. Well, the, first, the very first one was called spreadsheet. The next one was called, I think, one, two, three, if I remember correctly. And then mm -hmm. Excel came up in um, 84. But I had done a spreadsheet in, in, uh, in basic, in color, by the way, which was un very unusual at that time. And um, this was to explain, this is what actually brought me into teaching. Um, well, apart from, of course, my mother was a teacher, uh, and we had a teacher school at home. So once I got actually uh, asked, she was ill, so I was asked to go into the teaching room, into the classroom and, and teach, repeat some of the things about the history and uh, uh, things like that. So how old were you when this happened? I mean, well, I was 10 years old. Uh, that was uh, actually amazing. This was in Lisbon, and my mother was a teacher of an alphabet. So that's in Portugal, right? This, yeah. is in, this was in Portugal, yeah. There was a big initiative about, um, about uh, bringing people from analphabetism into, uh, I mean, people that could learn. So they had to take exam to have a state, um, a state um, job. So she was there and she was repeating that and I was listening to that and it was multiplication table and they were singing. She was very much into singing. So they would go nine times one, nine, nine times two, 18 and so on. So I learned that also by, by hearing them. And uh, so I, I got actually a nice leather knapsack of one of the gentlemen there in the room. They were all, of course, all came 40, 50. Uh, but it was it was a nice experience. So that was that was that. And then I married my wife, which was also a teacher. And then I went into research, semiconductor electronics. And that was a big problem to explain what I was doing there, because you know you can tell people, hey, you know, current is about electrons flowing and so on, and people will accept that as small balls going around. The problem is when you speak about holes moving around. So that was. Um, so that's what I said, ah, so I'm going to do this um, spreadsheet and um, try to, so I could see, they could see the holes moving um, in a spreadsheet, like emptying cells and things like that. And I said, ah, okay. So I went into pedagogics and start learning about more pedagogics. And uh, yeah, so I became a teacher for many years. Then I moved out to the industry and did other things there. I was 10 years at Apple. I was CEO of a, of a research institute on media. And by the way, I, I should also add that I formally retired last year, uh, although I still do a lot of things, but um, related to the university. There's no rest for the wicked. Yeah, I mean, so, so that people know that I'm not really very active right now. Well, I am very active, but not, not really... Uh, doing 
uh, teaching. So George, um, you mentioned that you went uh, into the semiconductor uh, business and you were a researcher there. What happened before that? So from age 10, uh, where you were helping your mother uh, to when you became uh, an engineer, what was the in-between period like? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, uh, from 10 years, then I went, of course, into the secondary high school. And then I started university in Portugal. And then, uh, then there was a problem with politics. I am a very... I can I can really say whatever I think of to people without hurting anyone, uh, but that was not really possible uh, in Portugal. We had a dictator called Salazar, and Salazar was very good for the country in the very beginning, 1928. But then he thought that, um, like most dictators, that he was the only one. Um, as in secondary school, I actually start frequenting the university, and we had actually a radio, a radio station, um, and I was there the technician, so I was yeah, running around with um, with uh, um, tape recorders and things like that, setting up microphones and things. Um, but then once there was somebody uh, that was ill, and they, <laughs> there was no manuscript. So people felt, oh, is there anyone that can write something or do something? And I, well, I did it. I did it and uh, people liked it. So I went on um, with that, actually. So every, every Sunday, every second Sunday, I had uh, my, my time of, uh, in the radio. Now, the interesting part of this, the not so interesting part of that, is that I could speak and write about many things. At that time, Portugal had a, a war. So there was censorship, and I was, uh, they were saying, no, you cannot say that. No, George, you cannot say this. No, no, George, you cannot say that. So I actually started being, I, I have never been a leftist, but, um, you know, if it is very much to the right, everyone is left. Uh, and so we had lots of discussions. So I said, no, Portugal is not my country uh, to live um, in. My mother had told us that, uh, you know, borders is like um, dogs peeing around. So if you're not a dog, you are not um, limited by a border, uh, mm -hmm. which by, by way she was very angry later on when said, my son's departed and I'm left alone. <laughs> well, so I, I decided to move out. So I decided to go to France. I had already a diploma of French and I could actually teach French in France. Um, but, um, yeah, I went round. I was hitchhiking all over country, all over Europe, actually. Uh, but I found that um, I like very much hygienic, and I, I thought, ah, Sweden is a very nice country, I think. So I went there, and uh, yes, I did like that. Very much, very clean, everything very clean, and uh, very ordered in society. It was kind of very free speech, liberal. So I decided I, I will stay. And, and, and then to make a very long story short, because there were lots of adventures we could speak about, but not in this, not in this podcast, I stayed. So I have stayed here um, uh, from when I was uh, 20 or something. Uh, so I have done all my life here and all my studies here. So I went to the university here, and uh, I graduated at Uppsala University, which is quite well known in the world. 
And um, yeah, that was the only university I knew existed. So when I came to Sweden, I said, I have to hitchhike to Uppsala. So when I came to Uppsala, I said, well, I want to learn. I want to make my degree here into nuclear physics. Ah, you want to become a nuclear physicist. Okay, so you should go here and that and so on. So you did a, a degree in nuclear physics? No, I did, uh, actually I started, yeah, I, I went to the accelerator. I went to the accelerator and I said, I want to, to do it here. Yeah, they said, well, you can do either physics or electronics. So I went up to the professor of electronics and said, well, um, this would be a nice place to stay. What are you doing in the accelerator? And they were doing kind of, um, yeah, in, which I also did. Uh, it was called the Rutherford backscattering. So you could take maybe a lacquer of a violin, for instance. That's one of the things I did not do, but uh, it could do. Uh, and they were doing, uh, they take a lacquer of violin, of Stradivarius, and they projected um, um, uh, protons and electron, uh, protons to, to that um, lacquer, and they saw uh, what um, atoms that came out. And I did all the all the uh, very nice program to actually to extract knowledge from that. I mean, if there was a large atom that could be gold, and if it was a smaller atom that could be coal or something, and yeah, then you could say what the lacquer was made of. And this was electronics. This was actually semiconductor electronics, but it was also nuclear physics. So that's how I actually started that. So they were reverse engineering Stradivarius strings, try to <laughs> understand yeah. what the metal, what the structure internally yeah. is. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then can copy it and make yeah, the yeah, yeah. new Stradivarius that cost $10. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But that was, <laughs> I think they did that. That's that amazing. Was, uh, yeah. yeah. Looking yeah, into yeah, the, just, like it, the core, the matter, just dissecting it like that. So that's back in the in the nineties or or eighties? No, no, no. This is um, 78, um, 78, 79, Yeah, seventy. No, no, no. It's before it's seventy seventy four something like that. I graduated. I took a PhD in eighty. How did you get over the language barrier of? I assume that they're teaching in Swedish. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, well, the language barrier was not really a problem because first, I am very fond of languages. Uh, at one time, I could actually speak some kind of ten language or something, uh, including Esperanto, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I had all these, uh, and my deepest knowledge was, uh, apart from Portuguese, was was French. And mm -hmm. uh, when I came up to, but I also learned a little bit of German. And uh, so I, when I came to Sweden, I started to un understand the language. I, I took a deep uh, look at what was the context uh, language. And the language, Swedish is very much influenced by German, German and English. I mean, it's the same group of languages. And also very much from France, very much. The Swedish king is actually a French king. Well, not now, but it was. Uh, so it was from the Napoleon Wars. So I, I understood that um, if I know French, if I know English, and if I know German, I will manage. So apart from the accent, which we all have when we move to another country, and that's not strange because our mouths and things are, uh, the, the whole, the, the speech um, mechanism is, is very much in, uh, done very early. 
so you get an accent. But I mean, accent is is it's no problem. It's uh, I would say that it's a very small price to pay so that you really can understand maybe 10 million people. When I moved to Sweden, mm. it's about 10 million people, and suddenly I could speak to 10 million people. And by the way, I have used this figure when I I taught as well. If you if you teach language, you you can actually say that well as soon as you can speak more than I hello uh, good morning I am George then you can speak to millions of people um, people will understand and put a smile a smile on on your face and if you learn that in Swedish hey hete uh, George then you can actually speak to more ten million of people and so on so that's much more important than the small accents well, I suppose. It's a small price to pay as well if you want to live in a place like Sweden, if you want to make that your home, like I think uh, learning the language is probably the first thing you need to do. It's like moving anywhere, uh, which actually uh, I understand that your experience in teaching goes back decades. So one thing that I, I want to understand is how students change over the years, if, if they change actually at all. So in your experience, uh, when you compare, say, an elementary school or primary school student from the 1970s to someone in the 20th, uh, the, uh, the notes, <laughs> 2000 and over, can you see any differences? Yes, I can see differences. Yes, of course, uh, of course I can see difference because the whole society has changed. So if, um, I'm sorry. If the context has changed, then, of course, the students have changed. And I remember very well that when I was um, young in the elementary school in Portugal, everybody was sitting very nicely listening to the teacher. Uh, and when I came to Sweden and, uh, and went into this business, I had lots, lots of projects um, here well, with, um, with students in, 90, in the 90s, in many schools, actually. Uh, I have a book about that as well. And um, uh, what I could see that, well, the students, even my kids, we were in the countryside. And when the teacher came in, they raised and they stood up and the teacher said, good morning and so on. I mean, this is something that does not exist anymore, as I, at least not in the schools that I have visited. Um because there was an, uh, an, an altogether new uh, old authority that the teacher had and people are viewed, the student parents viewed the teacher, the, the, yes, parents viewed the teacher as their elevator of their kids and so on. Now, now it's, it's different. You have, and of course, if the parents said you have to listen to your teacher and if the teacher had some authority, then of course, they could engage on learning, uh, on teaching. Nowadays, they have lots of problems in the classroom, many, many problems. And one of the problems are the parents, actually, because parents uh, expect something else from the teachers. Parents are very, very, most, many parents, I won't say everyone, of course, then it's not never everyone, but many parents are very stressed with uh, with other things, so they more or less ask the people, people the teachers to to educate uh, their children. And not really that they say educate my children, but I mean the beliefs are that I've spoken to so many teachers that really go into educating 
I mean, sit like this, sit like that, don't eat with uh, your hands. These kind of things have changed very much. So this means that from a time when uh, you could actually speak about your topic to a time when you were speaking about everything else but your topic, um, that makes uh, many teachers very frustrated. And many teachers, at least here in Sweden, they leave actually because they thought they were going to speak about, uh, I mean, I don't know, chemistry or mathematics or whatever. And they have very little time for that because lots of uh, there are lots of problems in the classroom. So it's behavioral management, uh, a big part of modern schooling, right? Uh, starting with frustrated parents and that's spilling into the system through the children. Yeah, and then they have to re uh, write all these reports for 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 uh, for the administration and for parents and so on. So, I mean, if you, if you look, why are you a teacher? Why did I become a teacher? Because I was interesting in elevating uh, pupils, students in some topics. And suddenly I get lots of problems within the classroom, in with the parents, with the masters, with the... You know, even nowadays, even tribunals, because, um, yeah, you made the, the notes were not as expected and you are a bad teacher, so I sue you. And yeah. it's it's a very large climate. Here in Sweden, we've got problems also with migration. Uh, migrants that have a completely different, um, I mean, just think of Sweden as one of the most uh, advanced countries in the world, which I think it is. And then we have got lots of people now from Somalia and uh, and uh, yeah, lots of countries that um, have not come forward in any way. So of course they get frustrated. They are always the worst in the classroom. They don't know the language and so on. So they kind of make themselves uh, a kingdom, a small kingdom, and so on. So yeah, they are not bad people. They only think that they are so. So they have so primitive ideas conveyed by their parents in their countries because their countries have never evolved, evolved to anything in particular. I mean, Somalia is not really a, a, a country, a state that takes care of people and so on. And then suddenly they are here and um, yeah, so we have these kind of problems too. Because, you know, how Sweden is perceived around the world as um, a country with an educational system that a lot are trying to imitate. And uh, my my impression is that that's quite true, but that doesn't mean that there are no significant problems. So people should not see it as like a paradise and a rosy place. So teachers, I suppose, have the same challenges everywhere, <laughs> isn't, isn't it? But it, it, is a, it is a very good system. I mean, it is really, if you... If you take apart all these problems, it's a very good system. I mean, it's very high taxes, but everything is free. So just look at me. I came here and I did not have any money to pay for anything. And I did not uh, need to pay for any any education at all. I went through the whole thing without paying any terms, any fees, any, anything at all. Um, and, of course, when I started working, I had lots of high taxes, but um, I understood why I have these high taxes, and I was happy with that. So that that is not a, high tax is not a really problem if you get something back. Uh, how has more money, resources from the taxes translated into, I guess, better education outcomes within Sweden? Uh, 
Yes. Uh, well, I think the the major benefit of that is that everyone has the possibility of uh, getting education, and I mean really everyone. Uh, it's uh, and you can get uh, as far as you want. It depends on you, and of course, uh, maybe your parents. Um, well, very much of your parents, of course, if they are interested in education. I think I moved to Sweden. I could have done the same thing in Australia, I think. And uh, at least I have I have that idea. I could go to the States and I do that. I could go anywhere. I am very self-confident that I could, that everyone can do whatever. You know, people sometimes say that, well, I, I cannot do this because I'm a foreigner, or I'm not do this because I'm a that foreigner, or because I'm black, and so on. Yeah, just look at Obama. Obama is black and most powerful uh, <laughs> man in the world. Not now anymore, but um, he was. So it is possible for a black to come there. It's possible for a woman to come there. And Clinton was almost there. And, I mean, it's possible for everything is possible. And if you think like that, then everything is possible. Um, and uh, I think a system that really, um, with with these taxes, uh, make education free. I think it it is um, a very winning a winning system. This is, by the way, what I like about this, this education. That's why I met. Uh, that's where I met um, uh, Peter Dalmaris um, in Udemy. I don't know if this is Udemy or Udemite, but uh, Udemy. Well, Udemy. <laughs> Udemy. Um, I think that is also a, a tremendous possibility for the world, uh, these massive online courses. I mean, for a course of £10 or, or maybe 20 or 30 or even 100 that's that's nothing. That is something that you could, everyone can invest and, and go several courses. Uh, I did that myself, by the way, <laughs> in Udemy, but also in Coursera. And um, and I, I think this, and I have actually told a lot of my students to go on Coursera and Udemy and take some course there um, besides what they're doing. And many teachers I know, they have actually gone for, for that. I just met one uh, the other day, I had lunch in with one and said, oh, George, you changed my life when you told me uh, to go this <laughs> course and it was some course on Coursera or whatever. So these... Uh systems that provide courses online through video content, uh, somewhat new. What other tools have changed in your time and changed the way that you've seen uh, teaching happen, specifically teaching around STEM subjects? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was the computer. I mean, the computer has changed lots of things, lots of things. And uh, when I teach about that, it's not, uh, I usually say, forget about Google. What can you now do with a computer? Forget about, because people immediately say, oh, yeah, you can do a lot of research uh, on Google and so on. Yeah, yeah, okay, forget about Google. What can you do to to improve, to actually learn uh, some things in depth, not only look at that? Now, in that case, I have, uh, and for that, I, I said again, of course, when this all started, and I've been in there, I, I think I, I'm one of the oldest persons in in Sweden that uh, has worked with this from big computers in education at the Royal Institute of Technology to 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 what today it is an iPhone in front of you with Siri Siri I think it's fantastic I do most of things in Siri we can come to that later Mm -hmm. but to answer your question I think the computer 
uh, and I mean technology in general has 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 been a tremendous factor in changing uh, teacher teaching. You can now nowadays what you could not do before. You can nowadays look at all over the world. You can go on YouTube, and, uh, and if that suits exactly what you are doing and you, what you don't understand, go there, check that. And I have uh, in many schools we have done that. Go there, but report in your own words what you saw. I don't want to see the, the video. I just want your words of your understanding. And um, that is much more than a presentation because it's it's not just you, you, go, you go there and you think, aha, this is, this is nice, so I'll make a PowerPoint and I'll insert um, the YouTube video. That is mm -hmm. not learning. That is not learning. Uh, that might be marketing of learning, but that's not learning. So I said, okay, so no PowerPoint. Well, maybe one piece of PowerPoint, very little wording, but your words describe what you have said. If you have learned about atoms, now tell me what an atom is. Don't show me a YouTube, but go there and look at many YouTube if you want. So I think technology, in short, is um, uh, what you need. Then you need the content inside, of course, the technology. And that could be uh, timelines, concept maps, progressions. Yeah, we can speak more in depth about that. But to answer yeah. quickly, that was technology is what I think has happened. So how does one use technology in the classroom to gain insights rather than just using it to recall information? No, get insight. Insight. That is uh, my philosophy of, um, of learning, is always to get insight. If not in not superficial learning. I mean, if you go on, on Google and go Google here and Google there. And I think what I teach teachers is go from what to why. So let's take an example. Um, you could ask, what is the capital of Mozambique? So what is Mozambique? Oh, it's a country. What's a country? Yeah, so you can get an idea what's a country, and then what's a capital, and then you get the answer, Lorenzo Marx. Well, this is nice, but it can be deeper if you ask why did Mozambique change the name of their capital, of its capital? Aha. Uh -huh. So now you have a totally new question. First of all, you have to know what Mozambique is, then what the capital is, just like before. But then why did they change the name? So you go to the capital. Capital is Maputo. Mm -hmm. And what was the last, the, the previous name? That was Lorenzo Marx. So why did they change? And then, of course, you can look it up and you say Lorenzo Marx was a Portuguese explorer that found Mozambique. Uh -huh. So there were explorers, Portuguese explorers. So... And uh, what what became uh, um, Mozambique became a colony. Oh, what's a colony? What's colonization? I mean, you you can then explore from that simple question. You can take lots of questions, like Platon. You know the Platon school. So you can just keep on asking questions, and they should actually ask questions. So a project work of two kids um, asking uh, with the question, why did they change? leaves you to a lot, lots of things. When they became independent, they actually independent from Portugal. That was the, the war. 
of independence. Um, yeah, so you learn a lot of insights just going from uh, what to why. So first, well, I was going to say first gathering context by getting the basic facts and then changing the what to the why. Exactly, exactly. That is, I think, is very important. If you start in mathematics, I, I think uh, I did some experiments, which was quite nice. I put on the blackboard, one plus one zero equals one one. All right, everybody at that level understands that one plus ten is eleven. Yeah, okay. So I, I write below. So one plus one one equals one zero zero. And wow. then, and then you have a lots of discussion. What do you mean? It should be twelve? No, it's one zero zero. And uh, so you get into the really in the number line, speaking that yeah, you could actually write uh, cow plus uh, I know cow plus cow <laughs> equals two horses or whatever. So you mm -hmm. lots of discussion about mathematics, and not about um, that one plus ten is eleven or twelve and so on and go on. Now, oh, are there other systems of counting? Of course there are. You know, this is a count system of one by one. It's always when. You take your signs, one, zero, one, two, three, uh, up to nine, and when you end up with signs, ah, you started over zero, one, one, but you have started for the first time, so you put one there. And then you go up to one, eight, one, nine, ah, you have started again, so let's put a two. And this happens in every base. Ah, so you get an understanding of the world, it's not really... It's like traveling. You think of a country, it looks like this, and then you go there, oh, it's not like my expectations. It's much better or much worse. That's amazing. So what you're saying, George, is that uh, one of the responsibilities of a good teacher is to prompt, perhaps, or uh, create the infrastructure for the student to ask questions, right? And not even the right questions, because we just don't know which ones are the right questions, but to ask questions. Exactly. When they ask a question, it's always the right question. It's, it's the right question for where they stand. They stand in, in, a, in a staircase, they stand, in, on, let us say, on, on degree, on step three, and they want to go to step four. So they ask a question. It's not to kind of embarrass the teacher, it's just that they want some knowledge. So if I contrast that to what I remember from schooling, where the teacher would stand in front of the class, they would give us all the answers and then ask us the questions that he already answered, so that's the old style. Now, basically, you go into the class and you start to stir the pot and start getting all those brains, the young brains, to have to be full of question marks, right? And then get them to answer their own questions. Would that be like an ideal educational system? With Google, of course, that's possible. And. Um, I wanted to go back to technology for a few more minutes, if that's okay, because I know you are very passionate about the topic and think ahead maybe 10 years, even even sooner than that, doesn't have to be 10 years. What do you think that the impact of artificial intelligence and things like the Oculus Rift, uh, 3D glasses and virtual reality, how, how will those technologies impact learning? Yeah, I think they, of course, will impact. Again, again we will be moving into uh, just think of it. I uh, I worked ten years for Apple, and uh, we were uh, all over Europe introducing QuickTime. You know QuickTime. 
Uh, and at that time, this was a picture on the screen about what you say, uh, I would say two centimeters by two. Yeah, something like that. And we were all very impressed by that possibility. So we went on to, to visit universities and visit other things, other schools, and um, look about this, and oh, we are so interested. And people would say, oh, mm -hmm, video on the computer, yeah. I can think of maybe some museum would be interested in it. No, no. We said, you're going to have this in education. We're going to have this. You're going to stay at home and look at pictures and so on. Ah, no, 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 no. I will go to the cinema for a big movie. I'll go to the cinema. It's much better to be there with people and so on. And uh, in education, yeah, maybe something. I ah, know I can. Well, uh, I think people were right. They were in that context. In their context, they could. They have not moved out of context, so they have not the idea that could be. On the other hand, we found lots of people also that said, "My God, this is going to be a revolution," and that the revolution it was, of course. You know what has happened now. I have spoken to some of these uh, teachers uh, that I met at that time, and uh, they said, "Yeah, George, you were waving the flag in the desert." for us to follow, <laughs> but uh, we were uh, reticent about following because we did not grasp the future. So to answer your question of the future is the same thing. We are now in the beginning of that. Uh, I am a strong believer in everything that we do is to improve our lives. I you see from prehistoric times, I'm very interested in history as well. And from prehistoric times to now, you see that it's a time travel that you could not believe if you ask somebody in the prehistory times, is there going to be quick time on, on a computer? They, were, they could not even do words. They, 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 that didn't mean anything. And nowadays, if you speak about artificial intelligence, people say, well, hmm, maybe it's better than none. Artificial intelligence is better than none. But um, I don't see any anything. The teacher should be in front of the class and so on and so on and so on. Although uh, many people are now going into these online courses where the teacher is not in front of the class. So they have kind of grasped and understood that is a, a tremendous possibility. Um, and for instance, I do a lot with Siri. I think Siri is, go is a tremendous tool for education, it's really. It's very misunderstood, and people start with it and say, oh, they could not grasp, they could not understand me, so, yeah. And the examples are, make me a meeting, and, uh, well, I can make a meeting anyhow on my paper, or I can type, and so on. That's wrong. Siri uh, can do much more. Um, you probably know that um, behind Siri is, of course, Apple, but it's also Wolfram technology, the one that did mathematics. So if you put a, mm -hmm. a computational a question that can be computed, it's going to be answered by the servers of um, in Champaign, close to Chicago, um, where Wolfram Technologies are there. I was there actually two years ago. It was fantastic uh, to see how they work. In education, you can actually ask Siri just about any question. Uh, you could ask Google, but you can also compare the population of Mozambique to that of um, or Australia, whatever, and it will compute it to you. You can also ask um, x squared plus 3x uh, equals zero, and it will present you with nice um, curve of, um, 
of a parabola with the, the roots and everything on screen immediately. Um, but I think people have not understand this and this is not being pushed uh, so much in education. So Siri is, I would say, the beginning of artificial intelligence. Um, well, the beginning is, is even before. I, I actually worked with Lisp before all these parentheses, mm -hmm. awful, awful parentheses. Uh, but I did that actually to learn. We'll uh, but we are now just later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Anyhow, so I think that this will go. Oculus Rift. I mean, all these kind of systems. Now there are cameras that see around you in 360 degrees, uh, and you can get an explanation of the world. You can nowadays go into an atom and become an electron and simulate that. It's far away from a simulation in Excel, but you can do lots of things inside your body. You can travel as a, as a, a blood cell and so on. So, so I think all these things are going to to explain very much uh, to you as um, as this so is what, happening in medicine. So, what do you think the most important technology will be for education in the next five years? Well, the next five years, I would say, artificial intelligence and programming. Why, why is that? Yeah, I think programming is, um, when I start learning about programming, and I really, I was not really very interested in programming. I never did a, a really education in programming, which sometimes I find very frustrated, actually. But I started with Fortran because it was in the curriculum, so we went into Fortran. And then I wanted to learn about um, this. Uh, so, but programming has one very good thing, and that was Seymour Papert. The issue is that you get to understand the world. If I press this button, then something happens. If I pay the, the, the ticket, uh, the ride, then I won't get caught by the police. I mean, it's always times in programming is life, but is consequence. The same thing. If I don't take my breakfast, I'll get hungry. If I get hungry, I get angry. And, uh, you know, so I think that explains lots of things uh, in life. It's not really the code. It's the, the, um, it is the logic behind. Do you think that every student should be a programmer? Just like they learn English, they should start doing programming uh, early on? Yes. Yes, I, I think so. <laughs> that was the idea of Tema Property, and we are seeing that with all these robots nowadays. Because it's, it is really a way to structure your thought, isn't it? Uh, I think uh, just programming gives you the discipline, there's the rules that you've got to follow, but there's a tremendous amount of creativity as well in, in programming. And of that can is. teach a lot for real-life applications. I mean, not real-life, it is real-life, but you know, outside the computer yeah, yeah. applications. Of course. In the, even even language. When I, I said that I was interested in language, uh, the first thing I did was go to, into grammar and say, if I say like this, then something will happen. And uh, the, the roots of, um, yeah, just I said in the beginning, elev for elevator. Oh, so you understand the word of elev by elevator. The logic is there. The logic of every country is there. I mean, there are dictionaries because we think most of... Uh, most of the time we think it's just the same. 
So that's why we found a word for fork in Swedish, in English, in Portuguese, in Spanish. There is a word for, for, for everything. So that's why there are dictionaries, we think most, most likely. But what we need to know is, uh, is the logic to travel in the world uh, with the logic. Then we'll go, it will give you a flow in your life that is uh, amazing, amazing. If you understand the logic, it's amazing what kind of flow you get. And the, the barrier to becoming a programmer for kids now is very low with, again, puppets work and languages like Scratch, for example. So graphical, there's no barrier of text anymore and compilers and all that. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's a great time to be learning programming, I think. It is, it is. It's, and that is, is amazing, is it not? I mean, it's Sam Puppet. I have his book here, The Children's Machine. George, um, we'd like to get into part three of our podcast now, which is the rapid fire questions part, in which we ask you short questions, mostly practical questions, and you take as much time as you want to answer them. But the objective here is to give actionable information to our listeners, things that they can do immediately even tomorrow in order to improve their teaching. Ah, okay. So I'll, right. I'll take the first one. Which application can you not live without, which is uh, relevant to your teaching? Oh, there are mainly two. Um, uh, speaking of apps, is Evernote. Um, Evernote is, you can just put anything there. But that is not for deep learning, but that is for uh, maintaining some notes. But uh, Evernote, I can never, I don't know what happens if Evernote is going to disappear. Pen and paper. Uh, <laughs> Evernote. Now, uh, but that was an app. But but the most important things I think, there are, there are two. Uh, the one are concept maps, and the other one is timeline. Uh, timelines, I think, are the most important, uh, well, one of the most important, apart from concept maps, um, teaching tools. And, and timeline, you have, well, and on the bottom of these, again, is, the, is uh, where the person comes in, the, the learner comes in. So we have to do emotionally interesting uh, for that particular learner. So as start, um, to start off with timelines, and these teachers can do today or tomorrow after this talk. <laughs> you start a timeline and you put time on the x-axis, of course, and then you put the date, 2017. So you leave here. Aha, uh -huh, okay. Now, when were you born? And people put, oh, me, I was born in 2005, say. And my sister was born in 2008. And they put that on the line. Sister, me, and then you go home and ask your mother and father, grandfather, and so on. So they go home and they ask for mother. Oh, she was born in 1950 and grandfather in 1921 and blah, blah. So they put all the family on that timeline. Now let's get back and um, to school next day, for instance, and say, oh, have you heard about Titanic? That was a tremendous thing with Titanic. It was a boat and so on. When was that? So they go on Google and put Titanic on 1912 on the same timeline that they are. And then we go back and then you can teach for the whole year. You can actually teach anything can be put on the timeline. If you speak about Napoleon, it's Napoleon there, and so on and so on. So you can do that. In literature, you put, so in the classroom, what we did in several schools 
was you put a lot of sheets of paper, you glue them together with tape, you tape them and put them around the, well, on a wall or around the, in one school it was actually around the classroom. And then you start off with uh, every kid that becomes a cloud because they are all born in the same, almost same year. But then they, you go back to parents and things like that and you, it grows from the time of today. And then it goes back to grandfather and uh, in, you start speaking about Shakespeare, so you go there, aha, there's this, oh, that's around the corner, it's in the 1500s, so 1564, Shakespeare, mm-hmm, all right, that's nice. It was there, and they speak about that in, in, in English, in the English class, they speak about Shakespeare, so they put that on 1564, and then in the physics class, you say, you know, there was this Galileo guy, and he was doing this and that, and the astronomy, he actually uh, made a new thing, when he was born. Oh, same year as Shakespeare. So there is a, a new timeline below, which is about literature, and a new timeline below, which is about physics. And uh, you fill up these uh, timelines, and you can see your world growing up. It's really amazing. I've done this in a, in a program called Inspiration, and I can compare, for instance, uh, the, the, yeah, immediately you can compare two timelines, France and England, how they developed, which kings were there at one time, what happened in Portugal at the time in Sweden, when the Portuguese discovered the world, uh, and so on and so on. The Vikings and the Egyptians, you, you can see the Vikings were kind of primitive people waving around. <laughs> and the, the, the Egyptians had a high society, built pyramids and so on. That's amazing. And you can Could, say, would you be able to share some timelines we can link them to the show notes and so that will give our listeners a better idea of what a timeline looks like. And I think this will be a great project to run in a classroom. Ah, yes, I think so. I, I think so because I have seen that and I have seen teachers become really amazed with that. I am very much into, into personal, it's in emotion. And you know that you are on the same timeline. Otherwise, you just hear about Shakespeare here and Galileo there, and you don't relate that to anything. So I think that's important. And also, you can have some of the kids. They are you are the physicist here. Uh, there is a group of physicists. So as as soon as uh, yeah, some person comes up, you should put him on on your timeline. And then another guy is in, or people people are interested in literature, so they have the. They are responsible. I mean, it, that's, that is the new thing. They can be responsible for something. So who has been the most influential, influential in shaping the way that you teach? Well, um, maybe, there was some, maybe there was this analphabets that uh, I actually saw in my home. Um, and because I, I saw what elevating a person can be. You know, up to that time, they could not read. So they came in. I was actually there in the classroom quite much because I liked these, these, these people. And uh, I knew much more than they do. They did. It was quite interesting. So amazing. But somebody came in and said, oh, today, today, I could take the bus and I could read what's on the bus. Beforehand, <laughs> for all this time, I have been said to people, you know, I forgot my spectacles at home. I cannot see what's on the bus. What, what say? Oh, it says so and so, Oxford Station. So, ah, okay, that's my bus. Thank you. 
and so on. And they could go, because if that was not the buzz, they could have the same question for the next people. I forgot my spectrum. And then these people came and said, well, now I can read the buzz. And yesterday I went in the, into the streets and I could read everything that was there. It was on sale, there was on this, there was on that. And I found that that's amazing because I had, of course, not reflected at all. I mean, at that age. And then I said, well, I'm going to do the same thing with everyone that I meet. I'll, I'm going to elevate them. And they should go, you know, this, in pedagogy, you say this, aha. Um, aha. And I, I think the aha is when you see that on the eyes or when you see that on a related, for instance, in massive education, you cannot see that. But you could maybe uh, become more personal and... Uh, and uh, in my teaching, I've been more personal, but of course, I have not had 10,000 students or something. I have maybe 60, uh, and then we could be a little more personal. Also, we saw each other. I've, I've been teaching for uh, distance teaching for five or six years now. Um, well, before it was only paper. Uh, we sent papers out, and papers in, but um, nowadays I've done this for, for several years now. And that was... Okay, we are Adobe Connect. Adobe Connect, you can see, you can see people also. You can give them the microphone and so on. I, I was going to speak uh, to answer Marcus' question. That there was timelines. It was a long story about timelines, but mm -hmm. so he, he, I guess so. So, uh, yeah, enthusiastic about timelines. The other thing I am getting very, what people can do tomorrow is concept maps. Concept maps is not the same thing as mind maps. It looks like a mind map, it's not the same thing. Mind map is more or less to take notes. Uh, maybe you can, um, I do this for every course, you to take a mind map, I'll take this one first, and then the next thing I'll speak about is this and this and this, that's mind map. Concept map is different. Uh, an example could be, um, well, a concept map looks like a mind map. So you have all these bubbles and you have the arrows. But you have to have an arrow between two bubbles, I, this uh, is a rule that I invented, by the way. Uh, in the bubble, uh, after much, uh, much research, um, you have a, an arrow between two bubbles, but you have to make a phrase, a complete phrase. This means that the arrow must contain a verb. It sounds crazy, but it's not. Um, that's what actually is the difficult part. It's not difficult to make an arrow, but it's difficult to put a verb. So you could say, for instance, um, let us say, you start with a car. You put a bubble there. So a car, and then you say, oh, wheel. Car has wheels. Okay. So you put car, and then you put, um, you put an arrow to wheels. And in the, in the, in the arrow, uh, on the arrow, you put has three or four wheels. So you have two bubbles. Car has three or four wheels. It's a complete phrase. Then you say, oh, but uh, you can uh, maybe, uh, can you drive somewhere else? Oh, I can take a bicycle. A bicycle. So you put another bubble, the bicycle. Bicycle, arrow, two wheels. Bicycle has two wheels. Then you can explain the by in the bicycle. And you can take the train. Arrow has many wheels. Okay, so what's the concept that you're speaking about? And after some discussion, you can, oh, this is the means of transportation. So you put a bubble above all, all of these with three arrows, arrows, means of transportation, car, bicycle, train, uh, and the other things that they ship and everything that they can get. Okay? So what's this actually? 
This is about communication. So you put a big bubble up there, say communication can be means of transport. Can communication be something else? Yeah, I can communicate with people. Nice. So put an arrow on the other side, can also be through um, speech. It can be through video. Ah, so speech and video, what is that? That's media. So you took about the bubble of media. So you end up with a bubble up there, which is communication, can be means of transport, can be uh, or can be through media. Between bef below means of transport, you can this car, bicycle, and train, and then wheels. On the other side, you can have media, video, speech, whatever. Uh, the difficult part of all this uh, is uh, to put phrases between the bubbles. That is really difficult, I can tell you. And that's what keeps learning. There are so many questions. What can I put here? Or what, what do I mean with this arrow? So I think verbs in that, it's, uh, it is really amazing. And the whole thing is a progression. So you understand that it's a progression. progression um, and you get a more and better and better view of, um, of the world. Because you see that communication, ah, communication can be a wheel, it can also be a video or a speech. And so, aha, it can be. Yes, of course it can be. And so on, you go on like this. I find with concept maps, um, they enhance my individual thinking, like when I'm trying to solve a problem, but also my communication. And I very often uh, think that the case for that is that normally, uh, at least I personally think in a serial manner. So I think of one thing at a time. Uh, and of course, you've got tools like note taking, you can make bullet lists, you can, there's a few other tools in order to try and capture those momentary moments or momentary thoughts that you have in your serial thinking process. And through a concept map, it can actually create a, a two-dimensional representation of everything that you have thought of and you can instantly see what the connections between those individual concepts are so now you're thinking not in a serial manner but like in a one-dimensional manner but in two dimensions at that point and uh, that also in terms of communication i find that it helps me pass complicated concepts to other people because i can present a two-dimensional view of my thinking at that point so the bandwidth has increased significantly by just using a concept map. So yeah, I use them a lot as well. Yeah, they can use that immediately. I'd like to also ask you, and that's a second last question. Imagine that you've got a young person who is now planning to become a teacher, an educator. What is that one piece of advice that you think is most important for them? Well, I think there are two things that every teacher uh, should think of. First of all, elevate. You are there as an elevator. You are not there to kind of pick on things. You are there to develop that person. Um, also, if you speak about technology, in STEM you usually come up with technology quite quickly. Uh, don't think that all kids know everything about technology. They don't. That's a totally misconception. And many teachers are very, when I use, uh, when I speak to teachers in, in service teachers and so on, uh, many teachers say, oh, kids nowadays, they know everything about the technology and so on. Yeah, that may be. Maybe that they know everything, which is not true. They know Facebook, they know YouTube, they know 
playing games and they are very fancy, they can fancy that, but they don't know anything about learning. That's your task. That's your task. So you should be very confident in, if you know pedagogy, if you are interested in, 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 in teaching them something, having them learn something, they should use the computer or any technology or anything um, uh, to, to learn them. But you should be confident in your knowledge. If you have read everything that in your teacher training um, that gives you the, you, you'll be prepared in chemistry if you're going to be a teacher of chemistry. You know chemistry, they don't. So don't be afraid. They can simulate and they can show, show YouTube and so on. Be very confident. If you are very confident, that's no problem. Then you can tell them, well, okay, okay. so show me something, how um, oxygen and hydrogen uh, react to each other. Show me how this happens with technology. And they will go and they will find Google. They will find everything and so on. That's their task in the, at that particular moment. Your task is to learn to tell them that oxygen and hydrogen react in such and such a way. So be confident. That's, that is the most interesting part. And then, yeah, that starts everything. If you, if you are confident, then, 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 then the disease. I had a, well, we can talk about that later, but I did a boost program with, together with the Ministry of Education here in Sweden, which is very well known. Uh, for for teachers, I actually started a company. I did not start a company, but the company was started uh, on my ideas to boost. And the the the, the, the government has put aside millions and millions of, of money uh, for that. And there is a, actually a, an institution that gives money for projects uh, from that. That was to boost the the teachers. I. My idea was if we boost the teachers, we'll boost the country. <laughs> that was my That's a great slogan. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a great start for a discussion and the Ministry of Education was yeah, he was convinced and we did lots of things on that. But that takes another hour. Yes, I think we're going to have to have you back, uh, George. We will definitely have you back for part two because there's uh, still a lot of questions that I'd like to ask you, uh, but we are unfortunately out of time. So uh, to close this part of our discussion, uh, I'd like to ask you for any parting thoughts and especially uh, if people want to get in touch with you and ask you questions that they might have, what's the best way for them to do so? Email. Email is always best. I have an, I have actually a, um, uh, a website, but that web, and you can have a look there, but that's old. And um, well, it has some things, but I think most of it is in Swedish. That was in the very beginning when I started that thing, there were nothing like blogs. So I started that like a blog of what I was doing and so on. But yeah, then I have so many other things. Really well. I've used yeah, it on your website yeah, and it works yeah. well. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Because uh, yeah, there are the, there are some ideas there, uh, but the, otherwise it's it's email, and my email is my name, so it's JSP, like George Solzabitz. You maybe be, and uh, at and then it's my server, which is my surname, thesolzabitz.com. Great. We'll have so it in JS the notes as well for people. Yeah, JSP. Yeah. Okay. So and the people are very welcome to 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 ask me any questions or give me any hints or whatever. I engage in all these discussions so I can absolutely answer everyone that will. <laughs> Spread the love. Thank you, George.
Much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I'm I'm so enthusiastic about this, so maybe I I spoke too much, but uh, that's, that's it was part amazing. of me. It was amazing. So thank you. So we'll have you back very soon. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode. And subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, Stemiverse. That is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.